1971, Gloria Steinem, that's how you pronounce her name, I'm not exactly sure, she issued a rallying cry for what is now known as second wave feminism. In her address to the women of America, Steinem said of the women's liberation movement, this is no simple reform, it is really a revolution. Sex and race, because they are easy and visible differences, have been the primary ways of organizing human beings into superior and inferior groups and into the cheap labor on which this system still depends. We are talking about a society in which there will be no roles other than those chosen or those earned. So that's a quote. Um, so she really envisioned a new world, world order, right? A society in which the only distinction between men and women is biological. And other than bodily differences, Steinem said, the two sexes are exactly the same and thus can do exactly the same things. And each person should play whatever role he or she desires. Now, over 40 years later, in many ways, the world we're in now is several steps closer to that world that Steinem envisioned. And we should be clear, I mean, the various ways of feminism have yielded some good results. The right to vote is a good thing. Uh, to, the right to property ownership is a good thing. Um, equal pay for equal work is a good thing. Many careers have opened up for women that weren't available generations ago. That's a good thing. Um, but here's the problem. As we have seen over the last 10 weeks of this class, a, this fluid view of gender as a created social construct is absolutely worlds apart from uh, God's truth that he created male and female as equal in value, but yet beautifully distinct and different according to his infinite wisdom and glorious purposes. So the world just wants to wash everything into kind of a gray, right? And really, the, like, if you want to say a cuss word in, in modern culture, just say that gender is binary, <laughs> That's like cussing uh, in church, okay? Um, so binary meaning either or. The world is really rejecting that. Um, in fact, I have a uh, Time magazine, um, the whole issue, the, 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 the topic for the issue was the science of gender and the presupposition going into the whole uh, thrust of the articles in there was that fluid is, or the gender is fluid and it's not binary, which of course is a rejection of, of what God's word has to say. Gender is binary. So today we answer the question, what does it look like to express our God-given gender in the world at large? So as we've stated before, in the last few weeks we looked at what the Bible has to say about men and women in the home and in the church. And in both of these contexts, Scripture lays down clearly prescribed roles for husbands and for wives and for how leadership is to be expressed and carried out in the church. But what about when we think of other spheres? So what about when we think about the workplace or our neighborhoods or our responsibilities as citizens? And this is a challenging question because the Bible doesn't give us clear prescriptions Remember that descriptive versus prescriptive uh, Bible study tool? The Bible doesn't give us clear prescriptions or restrictions for gender roles in these settings. Okay, workplace, neighborhood, responsibilities as citizens. There aren't clear prescriptions or restrictions for gender roles in these settings. You know, but, so what does that mean? Does it mean we just close our Bibles and assume that anything goes? Well, no. We should approach the topic in the same manner we would approach other topics that aren't as clear in Scripture. So we want to turn prayerfully to scriptural principles, priorities, patterns, and we just want to let those uh, principles, priorities, and patterns, we want to apply those to the topic at hand in the context in which we live. In other words, this is a question of wisdom and not law. Wisdom, therefore, is figuring out how to live in God's created world according to God's good design and for God's godly purposes. So we're going to consider uh, several areas this 
evening in search of wisdom. And let's start with number one, embracing our created dispositions. And you can just see that on your notes if you're using those. So we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 that the distinctions between men and women reach all the way back to creation itself. And so they have implications for all of life. Genesis 1 teaches us that men and women are without a doubt created equal in terms of dignity and honor because both are created in the image of God. Yet Genesis 2 and 3, we see that God created them to be distinct from one another. So in Genesis 2.15, God calls the man to work and protect the garden and to, by extension, provide for his family. In Genesis 2.18, God creates his wife Eve to be his helper. Then in 3.9, we see Adam being held responsible for the spiritual failure of the family. And then in Genesis 3.20, Eve is called the mother of all living. Now that obviously implies having children, but not only having children, this motherly instinct is also seen more broadly in cultivating life in others for their spiritual good, as we see women called to do in Titus chapter 2. So, there's some overlap sometimes in how these dispositions express themselves, but generally speaking, even if it's in our subconscious, we should expect to see men and women expressing those roles. Men are going to tend to work in God's creation and to provide for and to protect others. Hopefully through this class you're getting these consistent, you know, big handles to, to grab a hold of from Genesis and, and, and on through the canon. You know, you should, when you think about men, you should be thinking protect, provide, bear responsibility, right? So men are going to tend to work God's creation, provide for and protect others, their family, others, uh, you know, the church. And women are going to tend to cultivate life in others and tend to help others flourish. These qualities may look different in different cultures, and I do recognize they're, they're broad. And because of the fall, some men or women may live out these inclinations more or less easily, right? Some may even struggle to feel them as natural. But these broad differences simply flow from the reality that God didn't make two identical sexes, right? He, he made very different sexes. He chose to display his image in distinct and complementary genders. So, no matter what challenges or temptations we may face on the topic, we should remember that God's plan is always for our good and for the good of human flourishing. And on that point, it is worth acknowledging the general physical differences between men and women as well. It is crazy to say that this is like controversial at this point in time, but we, we need to say this. Um, men and women are different physically, boys and girls. I don't know if you know that. Um, this too is part of God's wonderful and wise design. Women and men have different anatomy, different hormones, different roles in conceiving and delivering children, and statistically speaking, different average size and different physical strength. And so it makes sense then on a macro level that these differences tend uh, to lead to certain trends in how men and women behave or the sorts of job they take. This is just a reality of the created order, not something to be bucked up against or rebelled against or decried as terrible. It just makes sense because we are different. Yes, there will be exceptions, and we should avoid too much stereotyping or caricatures that could be unhelpful. There is a soft-spoken senior citizen man teaching toddlers how to finger paint, and that can still be masculine, okay? And so he doesn't need to buy a pickup truck or kill a deer to be a true man. That's true, okay? And a woman can be fully feminine even if she doesn't have a Martha Stewart cookbook on her shelf. It needs to be uh, the pioneer woman. Uh, no. But uh, there are uh, macro-level trends in how men and women behave that are different, that are really based upon the, the just physical differences in their biology. And that's just fine. That's good. So when it comes to how you live... As a man or a woman in the world, this point is simply calling us to consider 
and celebrate that God has made men and women different and he calls us to live within the grain of the gendered dispositions that he's given you. And it is good to be reminded here that true joy comes not from ignoring his design, but from acknowledging it as a gift and embracing it instead of kicking against it. So it's okay, and it makes more sense that there are going to be more men in construction than women. Does that mean women can't work in construction? They can if they want to. But it's just the job is just made for a male body, typically. And that's just good and fine, okay? Nothing wrong with that. Um, Now, let's go to the next point. Gain wisdom from our prescribed roles in the home and in the church. So we learned in the previous weeks that God calls wives to submit to their husbands, but he doesn't call all women to submit to all men. And God calls only men, and only men qualified, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, to lead the church through formal teaching and holding the office of elder. But we've got to be careful here. Beyond the home and the church, the scriptures do not restrict leadership to men in other spheres of life, such as government or the workplace. Still, though, I think we should be mindful of the roles that God prescribes in the home and and the church, as these roles represent a formalizing of men's and women's God-given dispositions. So, in other words, they aren't arbitrary. Okay, they're not random. Instead, we should see them as consistent with how God has created men and women. In other words, it would just seem odd that God would intend for his people to pursue the biblical vision of masculinity and femininity in the family and in the church, but then completely abandon those patterns and dispositions when they're outside of those specific contexts. Does that make sense? So, for example, we talked at length about the general trait of godly femininity described as, quote, a gentle and quiet spirit from 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter's not talking about a woman's personality trait, right? But her spirit, her heart, how she rests content in God. Even though the context of 1 Peter 3 is marriage, we agreed that the passage and others commend the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit to all Christian women, whether married or not. So for all my sisters here, right, wisdom would say to find a way to express that gentle and quiet spirit, that Godward heart in all of your various endeavors, not just in the home or in the, uh, or in the church or in the workplace, but just in all of your endeavors. It should be something you're endeavoring to live out consistent with 1 Peter 3, having that gentle and quiet spirit, not the personality trait, but the heart, right? And the same is true for men. A man who isn't married shouldn't read the Bible's instruction for husbands to be servant leaders to their wives and think, Phew, I'm off the hook. I don't need to live sacrificially and caring for others. And I don't have to be a spiritual example for others because I'm not married. <laughs> right? Precisely the opposite. He should see the biblical vision of a husband as something of a blueprint for his own masculinity. But with the obvious caveat that a husbandly authority and wifely submission doesn't apply in various relationships. Right? But he should see those patterns of biblical masculinity expressed in manhood, expressed in, in marriage, to be something of a paradigm for how he can protect and care and provide for others, even if he's not married. So, to clarify, the biblical roles we see in the family and in the church do not automatically apply in the world and workplace in a formal sense. Okay? But... They can still teach us something about masculinity and femininity when it comes to the question of whether a woman can be CEO of Apple or President of the United States. There is no command in Scripture to heed. So there seems to be a level of freedom here. The point we're making in this class, though, is that whatever job or whatever public office a woman takes she should and should seek to fulfill that role as a woman bringing her God-given femininity to bear. And the same is true of a man. So, what should we do? By thinking through the lens of wisdom, we should ask the question of, 
what would be most wise for my life in this situation? What would be most beneficial and helpful in order to live out my God-given disposition as a man or as a woman? And to help us consider that, we need to turn to our next point. So our next point. Consider your particular stewardships and responsibilities. So, whenever any believer considers how to express their manhood or their womanhood in the world, he or she must consider what are those non-negotiable duties that God has called me to do. So, what are those non-negotiable, God-given duties that God has called me to do? So oftentimes this answer is going to give some shape to what life should look like or what life shouldn't look like in different seasons. Does that make sense? So let's take, for example, the situation of trying to choose a job and how your gender plus your responsibilities may play into it. Okay? So for example, I do think that a woman has a lot of freedom to pursue countless jobs and careers in accordance with her abilities, opportunities, desires, and qualifications but if she is a mother of young children, she is not free to neglect the role of nurturer in her children's lives. Titus chapter 2 encourages women to be busy at home, not meaning primarily decorating her physical house, but caring for the people who are there. After all, both men and women work. I learned real quick, by the way, if people ask, does your wife work? I would say, does she work outside the home? No, she does not, right? <laughs> Just a quick little thing for you. Okay, there you go. So, um, both men and women work, right? And some work earns a paycheck. Other work in the home may not bring in cash, but it is still nonetheless of tremendous value. Yet, what this looks like is going to vary from woman to woman and culture to culture. So a single mom or a widow is going to apply it differently than one who's married. But what an opportunity we have to rejoice in the beauty and goodness of motherhood, especially in a culture that so often undervalues it. So can I get just like a big amen there? I'm grateful for the ladies in this congregation that do value that. So, and what an opportunity we have to show charity to believers who share our high value of motherhood but choose a different career path or a work arrangement due to various circumstances that may be outside of their control. So to this same end, okay, when you think about your responsibilities and your God-given gender and how that affects maybe job opportunities that you think of, a father isn't free to neglect his family duties for the sake of a career either. So he is called to provide for his family financially, but he is also called to bring up his children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And to that end, maybe in order to do that, he actually needs to say no to a particular promotion that he's offered at the job place where he's at. Wisdom may say he needs to say no to that, depending on what it might entail. He needs to think about his responsibilities and how that plays into that job promotion that's offered, and he may need to say no. So, now everybody's financial and family circumstances may have different challenges. And while at the same time, we've got to remember and recognize that some believers get more of a choice in what job to pursue than others. There is no right way. So, you know, how do you figure out what you need to do? Well, you need wisdom. You need to seek counsel from others. You need to be ready to make sacrifices. And if you're weighing a particular job or educational opportunity, seek wisdom from others, but don't just talk to people that you think are going to agree with you. I say this to myself. I say this to you. When you're weighing significant decisions, please don't just talk to the people that you think are going to agree with you. Ask other voices for advice. Try to identify your blind spots. So let me just give you a particular example for me in a generic sense. I'm a glass half full type of guy. So when I see opportunities or something, I think, I can do this. We can do this. We totally got this. No problem. Uh, and so I'm just like, boom. So when I'm thinking about it, what I do is I, is I try to have the wisdom and the self-control to talk to one of my very, very, very conservative brothers who... If I'm in a bad mood, I might call them Debbie Downers, um, right? So I want to talk to them, 
and I want to get their take on this particular thing that I'm thinking through. I'm the half full, so I want to see what the half empty guy is going to have to say. I'm the charge of the hill. I want to talk to the guy who's more like, mm, cautious, you need to think through this, you need to think through this, you need to think through this. I'm like, we don't need to think through all that. We're going to be fine. Let's go. Uh, so, but it's, you get wisdom when you talk to those who you think are going to have a different opinion on something, and all the more when you're thinking about things like jobs or moves or houses or where to buy the house or all that type of stuff, okay? So ask other voices. Try to identify your blind spots. Know your blind spots. If you don't know your blind spots, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Be humble and accept it. I don't like it either, but I'm just telling you it's a good thing to do. Um, And if you're not married, then ask a close friend who knows you well enough to be honest with you and to tell you what your blind spots are. Okay, and then don't get mad when they actually tell you. Okay, now, where do we go for a good example of the interplay between family responsibilities and work activities? We can actually look at Proverbs 31. Uh, I'm not going to take time to read the whole passage because we've already done that in previous weeks. I just want us to notice a few things about this idealized woman that Proverbs presents for us. I'll read you a couple things and, and reflect on just a couple of things, okay? Uh, Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. So this is a woman whose main burden is to provide for those under her care. You see that? So she's clear on her responsibilities. She sees her household as her primary sphere of responsibility. Verse 16, she considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So this isn't a woman who literally stays within the four walls of her home. She's involved essentially in real estate development there in the ancient Near East. All right. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. So she's making goods and she's selling them and she's running a successful business. She even seems to have some sort of distributor or middleman. Okay? Verse 27. She looks well to the way of her household. Verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So the summary of Proverbs 31 is a woman who's quite ambitious with her professional endeavors. For the culture in which that wisdom literature was penned, she is quite ambitious in her professional endeavors. Yet, it's not primarily for her own self-fulfillment or her reputation, but in order to serve others, starting most primarily with her own family. And in all of that, she's a good example, not just to women, although she is definitely an example to women, but in all that, she's an example also to men. This woman's work with the vineyard and the garment business is not, it is not in conflict with her family responsibilities. It's actually in harmony with them, and it enables her to nurture her children and to help her husband. Okay? So, what should that look like for you? Again, I don't know. This is only one example, and a particularly idealized one at that. So, in other words, remember, this is a poetic description of a woman who is almost too good to be true okay so don't be overwhelmed by her example this isn't a full picture of her okay not a full picture of her sins and of her struggles Um, but we still should learn whatever we can from her about how we can attempt to live out our gendered dispositions and be faithful to the various responsibilities god gives us so let's just try to put these pieces together and then i'll give you time for questions or discussion if you have anything you'd like to talk through. So let's just try to put these pieces together. How do we wisely apply what we've been talking about so far? I have one broad encouragement for us. Pursue endeavors that seem consistent with your identity and your responsibilities as a man or a woman, rather than endeavors that might undermine or suppress them. And in whatever position or whatever endeavor you find yourself, do your best to express it in a way that embraces and upholds your God-given masculinity or femininity. Now that's wordy, but let me just keep going for a minute and maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. For example, 
One common question is if a woman should take a secular job that places them in leadership and authority over men. Is it inherently wrong or unbiblical for women to hold such positions? I don't believe so. Women in the workplace that have authority, women in the workplace that have authority over men can still use it in a way that honors those men and their sense of masculinity. But it would be wise to think about the type of authority that any given job involves and whether it's authority that can be expressed in feminine ways. Will she be comfortable living out this role as a woman? Is it the type of position where she will feel pressured to adopt the world's more fluid view of gender, right? Will the environment she works in cause her to feel encouraged or embittered towards the Bible's teaching of authority in the home and in the church? This is interesting. A Northwestern University meta-analysis of men's and women's leadership styles found, not surprisingly, that when uh, women adopt culturally masculine behaviors, they are less efficient in their leadership. That's coming from a Northwestern University meta-analysis of men's and women's leadership styles. When women adopt a culturally masculine behavior, a way of being, they're less efficient in their leadership. Other studies have shown that women naturally exhibit several feminine features when they exercise authority on the job. One article summed it up this way, quote, Women employ a more participative leadership style, are more likely to share information and power, and have strong relational skills that make them seem empathetic to their staffs. End quote. In other words, to use the biblical language, women are created to cultivate life and help others flourish, and they are actually better leaders on the job when they lean into those God-given proclivities. Does that make sense? I think it should make sense, hopefully. Of course, just because social science study draws this conclusion doesn't automatically make it true. So we should say that too, okay? Uh, but if it, if it affirms what the Bible says, then we can say, oh, well, that's good. That makes sense. But we shouldn't be surprised when a social study confirms our expectations from what we've already seen in Scripture, Right? That shouldn't be shocking to us. That should make sense to us if social science confirms what we know to be true in Scripture. And I would also just say this. From personal experience, I have worked directly when I worked for Wells Fargo Bank, first as a personal banker and then as a branch manager. I worked directly under two women. My immediate boss, her name was Melinda Gonzalez, and then uh, the supervisor who was the regional head over the bank, her name was Tracy Bacon. And both of these ladies, as I look back... I can see that they were excellent leaders and they led in a very appropriate way as women. They honestly looked out for me. I was 21. I knew nothing. I was right out of college. Okay. <laughs> they were both in their 40s and their 50s. They looked out for me. They encouraged me. They developed me professionally. And they managed me in a way consistent with their femininity, both kind of like mother bears, frankly, uh, looking out for me. And that was a good thing, and I flourished under them. So I think it was appropriate for them to be in those roles, and they were actually a blessing to me. Well, that's just a personal aside. Uh, what about a job that would require a woman to regularly engage in violence? Not that any of you guys are thinking of joining the military, and, but maybe you are. I don't know. Let me just, so let's, just, let's just tease this out for a minute for a thought experiment. What about a job that would require a woman to regularly engage in violence, such as certain roles in law enforcement or active combat? Uh, we see in passages like Judges 4 that at times in Israel's history, women needed to get involved in warfare. That was the exception rather than the norm, and I think the men were a bit shamed for it, by the way. Um, but for almost everyone, it is best to be in a job that is congruent with the dispositions and roles that we see in Scripture. But again, this is still a question of wisdom. The point is that it is what is permissible may not always be what is most beneficial. And let me also just say that society's pressure towards having women serve in combat, I think is just horrific. Uh, I think... Men, we should protect our nation, not send our women to war. I think that is an absolute tragedy that that's being pushed, and it's really just the result of our postmodern confusion and, uh, and, and 
and feminism, and it's, it's a bad, bad thing. So does Scripture forbid a woman serving in that role? I, I'm not sure if it forbids it. Is it wise? No, I don't think it's wise. Uh, and uh, I think the men need to be leading the charge there in protecting uh, their nation and their families. So, uh, but that is an issue of wisdom. Uh, and similarly, when a man finds himself under a woman's direction and authority, he should desire to fulfill that role as a Christian man. So he should ask, quote, what are appropriate ways that I can take initiative to provide for and protect others, including my supervisor? And above all, he should seek to do his work with graciousness and a good spirit, serving his employer, as Paul says, with a sincere heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, Ephesians 6, 7. He should try as much as possible to show his employer the honor and care that men should show to women generally. I hope that I did that with Melinda Gonzalez and Tracy Bacon, neither of which are Christians to my knowledge, but I did very much appreciate them as my boss, and I think they appreciated me. Uh, and in all of this, we must remember that, that our world, our world that we live in, either overemphasizes gender or it makes it meaningless, right? So it either, on one hand, we see slogans like, women run the world, or girls do it better, celebrating femininity as an end in itself. On the other hand, we hear that gender is merely a construct used to express power over others and that we're entering a post-gender world where gender is more of a continuum than a binary reality. But God's word shows us a better way, a way where we appreciate the dignity and beauty of both femininity and masculinity and seek to live every moment of our lives to express the womanhood or manhood that God has graciously given us, and yet in a way where our hope is never in ourselves or our gender, but in the perfect man who gave up his life for us so that we can have life. So, let me, let me stop there. We're actually, that's, that takes care of the content for tonight. What questions do you have or what might you like to discuss? We can take a few minutes to just talk. Um, and then if, if it seems like, like we're, we're done, we'll just close her down a little bit early. What questions or discussion might, like, might you like to have? Really trafficking in a lot of wisdom tonight, implications from Scripture, taking foundational things that we've been reflecting on and trying to use those principles and priorities to, that, we've, that we've laid and trying to, to draw out implications of them. Some of the things some of you are never going to face, you're, you've made these decisions, but some of these things your daughters and your sons are going to face, and so it's good for you to be thinking about them so you can help them think about them. Kevin. What sort of questions would you be asking your daughter if she said something like, I want to have a family and be a doctor? I want to have them all. As you say, how do you apply this like this? What sort of questions would you be asking her to help her? How can you do that? Or what would that look like? Let me throw out. A thought, and then I actually just want to throw it out to others because there may be some great wisdom in this room. Did everybody hear Kevin's question? Yeah? Okay. Um, so if my daughter said, Dad, I want to be I want to be a mom, I really do, and I want to be a, a doctor, and I want to have it all. I want to be like the most kicking doctor. I want to be on the, the flight magazine, the in-flight magazines, you know, seven best surgeons this, seven best surgeons that. You guys know how that's on the back of the in-flight magazines. You're like, no, because I haven't flown in a year. Um, um, uh, so, well, there are these things called airplanes that you can, um, so, uh, I think that I would, I think that I would want to encourage her, uh, that if she thinks that she can serve God and serve her family well by being a medical doctor, then that's wonderful, sweetheart. I want you to pursue that. But I think that I would also wanting, I would want to really emphasize to her and help her see 
But your most primary responsibility, if God blesses you with a husband and a family, is them. Like, that's your most primary responsibility. So don't go into this thinking, I want it all. Go into this thinking, I think I can serve God and I think I can serve my family well as a medical doctor. Okay, that's wonderful. But let's just have our priorities straight that your family and your husband and your kids are your most primary responsibility. So make sure that the that whatever role you have, and if it's for you, if you're just wanting to be a doctor, that that's subjugated to this. And this is most precious. And this is most wonderful. And this is where you're actually going to have the greatest kingdom impact. Um, so this looks awesome, and maybe it can serve this. But let's just remember that it is supposed to serve this, because this is where you're going to make the most eternal impact. So I'm not exactly sure what specific questions I would be asking, but that would be the priorities that I would want to try to lay. Does anybody have any other suggestions for our brother, which, of course, are great things for us to consider any conversations we might be having with our daughters? So how might you answer Kevin's question? Do you have other thoughts? Heather, the bar is high. Wisdom must come forth. <laughs> Wisdom. 
but um, something that if I could do it again, what would I do differently? Talking about motherhood in general? Motherhood in general or guiding the kids. Um, one of the things that I've realized is observing what are my children like. So from birth, we have two girls, two extremely different girls. One very quiet, passive, um, well, very smart. One very out there, flamboyant. And so if I was to do it again, <coughs> really observing what direction are they going, how are they walking with the Lord, and asking them questions to one, draw out the quiet, pensive child, and two, the other one, why, asking the question, why would you want to do this? How does this glorify the Lord? What are your needs, how are your needs being fulfilled in this? Or is it that it's, you're fulfilling what the Lord wants you to do? Because children are all different, and as they grow, I'm realizing now they grow really what they were when they were a baby. You know, um, they're very, very similar as adults, and so being very aware of that. Now, of course, the Lord changes people, but I think we still have those tendencies. So just being being aware of that as your kids grow. I hope that John. Hey. My answer to the question is, you know, I'd, I'd love to be an expert at everything, but I can't. And you can only do so much in life. You've got to think wisely about what it is you want to do and where you can make the most impact. But by looking at others, I mean, we, we seek wisdom. We want the wisdom. But Sometimes when you look at the superstar, and there are very few superstars in life, when you look at them, you don't see everything. You just see what they're really good at. You don't know the costs that they have incurred. Kristen mentioned costs. And so I think often it isn't what it appears as. We're thankful for the superstars, the surgeons, the doctors, and all of those that make technical advances and other advances that do help us in life, but often it comes at a great cost. And I think just, just working with the idea of contentment, we can't do it all. What can we do? BJ, you've used the words, what can I do with my little One little life. One little life. Most affectionate of the kingdom. Content with that, I think we really need to work towards those kind of things. Yeah. That's good. Other thoughts? Those those are applicable not only to our children or I mean those are those thoughts John yours particular those are applicable to all of us in our lives even now. What other thoughts or things might you like to discuss on Anything related to this topic we're talking through tonight? Kevin, thanks for that question. wisdom on that immediately off the cuff. Does anybody have a thought on that? 
because when my dad was sick, we would have given paid triple to have a male nurse. Like, there's times when there's very specific benefit to a particular combination. It's just the first thing that came to mind. I just don't know that it's always. Yeah. I think it's that wisdom piece, you know? Yeah. Sonia, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that I think it kind of goes along with what you were saying at the end about um, gender. If you're a woman and you're an authority and you have your, like, have men under you, um, I think, in most of my experience, those women were working really, really hard um, to be thought of as men. You know? Um, and I see that with Jimmy Cox a lot. Um, you know, she tries to talk to him like a man and she wants to be treated like a man but because man is equal, right? And not lesser than um, so when you did that, that was like actually a really novel idea to me that like, okay, even if you are an authority over men, you should do it in a feminine way, you know? Um, so I guess like that's what I would probably, um, like if my son was going to be a nurse, I would say, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be a feminine nurse. Like you can be a protector and strong and, you know, in your own manly way, do that perfectionment, you know? Um, but I think what, like, my question is going to be um, for men who have um, female losses, like, how do you, um, I don't know, how do you treat that? Like, I know you're saying that, like, how you treat your bosses, but um, you treated them as women. Um, but if they, I don't know, it seems like a lot of women that are higher up have, like, that chip on their shoulder because they work so hard to get there and they don't want to be treated, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you can only control you, and so I think what you can do if you're in a position, man, where your um, uh, your boss is a woman, is to be humble, to be eager to learn from her professionally, eager to receive input from her, and eager to be a good worker. And I think it's hard not to like and to uh, – to, I think that's just going to make for a good employee-employer relationship because who doesn't want an employee who's humble, eager, hardworking, communicative? Um, so even if there is a chip on their shoulder, you know, if you control you and you be the worker that God would have you to be, you're likely – it's going to go better for you even if there is a chip on their shoulder. And She's going to see, well, this one is an exception. And then that even opens the door for the gospel, you know, right? Hey, why aren't you like the other jerks around here? Well, it's because I'm a Christian. And so uh, I just want to honor the Lord in how I work, and I want to work hard for you. So um, I hope I'm doing a good job. I want to do a better job, you know. And then she's going to be like, where does this guy come from, you know? Uh, opens the door for the gospel. So that's good. I see it's helpful to me, for me to affirm my kids in what I see that they're good at because they don't always see it. So they might want to pursue something, mm. but I mean, I just I like to tell them it's like you know what I see you're you're actually really good at this and you're really good at talking with people. You're you know Ethan and I have had this conversation and Naomi too going into college. They you know she's wanting to pursue something and so we just talk about we're like well. Let's just talk about what you're what you're good at and what we see you doing well at and what others affirm in you because that helps them to see maybe God's natural inclinations and tendencies that might help direct them along a career path or you know whatever. So a lot of it is affirming them for what you see that's good. So that really meshes well with what Heather was saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Very good. Is um, I remember us always saying to the girls, "Yes, we are your parents, but you also have a church filled with parents." Amen. And we want you to go to them. If you don't feel comfortable going to us, go to them and talk with them. 
So our girls would go to Sarah Powell. They'd go to Carol Jones. They'd go to others. When, uh, to the Burtons, to the pastors. To, you know, and they would, because they were in their lives and in their homes, very frequently, if it was babysitting or if it was after school activities or whatever, they felt like they could talk with them freely. Right. And what it did is it affirmed what we were telling or encouraging them in. But it also, like for Sarah Powell, she was closer in age to the girls. So it was almost like a sister coming alongside and saying, hey, heads up, you don't really need to be doing this, do you? So it wasn't just with what careers you take or anything like that. It was just in the, the everyday life application. That's great. I actually need to shut it down for time. Great discussion. Thank you so much for being here and for participating. Uh, that is a, a, a blessing. And uh, let me ask you a favor, if you don't mind. We're going to have on mission in this room so that we can have more space from a physically distance, from a physical distancing standpoint. And so it's 7:01. If you could clear out by 7:10, that would be great. That way we could start on mission. So. Uh, could someone, uh, Eric was kind enough to open in prayer. Could somebody close us in prayer? Anybody that would like to? Go ahead, Cal. Thanks. Well, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we are men and women, boys and girls, and that you have uh, completely thought out uh, how that those differences should be and that you've given us your Word in the Holy Bible to guide us. Thank you for BJ who discern and do these uh, scriptures and give us and just relay that wisdom so clearly to us, Lord. We pray for all those children and young people in our church who are living in a crazy time <clears throat> where there's much confusion, Lord. We just pray that uh, you would. Uh, work in their lives, that they would uh, be very clear about these things that are being taught. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.